0: When I was a a student at at Auburn University many years ago, the second major that I tried um, was engineering. My my first was architecture, but I changed before classes even started, which gives you a little idea in my thought process at the time. And engineering was going all right for me until I hit this class. that I don't remember what the name of it was, but it was a, a drafting and a design class. And I just remember they would give you pictures of some complicated object in three dimensions and you'd have to look at it from this angle and then you would have to draw it from the angle you couldn't see. You had to figure out what it looked like on the other side and draw it and I, I just couldn't do that. Like my, my brain did just not work like that and I started thinking maybe it's time for me to try something else. I just couldn't see what I needed to see. Uh, imagine this morning for a moment that you're somebody who's thinking about Christianity you're considering the claims of Jesus Christ to be God in the flesh. Uh, maybe you don't have to imagine that. Maybe you're here today because a, a friend imbi- invited you to come and to hear uh, and to learn more about who this Jesus is. Or maybe you're somebody who's grown up in the church, or you're growing up in the church, uh, and it, it just hasn't come together for you yet. You, you want to believe. You feel like you're on the edge of belief, but, but the light just hasn't come on yet. You haven't been able to fully commit yourselves to, to Jesus Christ. My question for you this morning is, what would it take to nudge you over the edge from unbelief to belief? What would it take to move you from, I just don't quite get it, to, oh, I get it. What would it take to move you from from not seeing what you need to see to being able to see and grasp and believe and actually rest, give yourself in faith to Jesus Christ. What do you think you need to convince you to believe in Jesus? That's what we're going to think about this morning. So, uh, Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he, being Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over seven baskets full, and there were about four thousand people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the districts of Dalmanatha. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. But they looked like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Let me pray for us. Father, we give you thanks uh, for your word. We pray now that you give us uh, eyes to see, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of Your Word. We pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I want to talk about two things this morning. Uh, two things. What we think we need if we're going to believe in Jesus and what we actually need if we're going to believe in Jesus. What we think we need if we're going to believe in Jesus and what we actually need if we're going to believe in Jesus. First of all, what we think we need if we're going to believe in Jesus Christ. I think most people, if you ask them What do you you need to convince you to believe in Jesus? To believe that the story of Christianity is true. Uh, To to believe that Jesus really is the way and the truth and the life. I think most people would say, well, I I need some answers to some questions. Uh, What about people of other faiths? I, I need some evidence that I can actually trust the Bible. I need some kind of proof that Jesus really is who He said that He is. Well, okay, what sort of evidence then would convince you that Jesus really is who He said He was? Well, you say, well, some kind of evidence. Maybe some miracles. Maybe some sort of sign that would convince me beyond a shadow of a doubt. Maybe if I could have been there when He walked out of the grave, then then it would be easy for me to believe. Maybe if He appeared to me now even then I would believe in Him. Now, is this desire for evidence a bad thing? Or aren't we just supposed to kind of make this leap of faith into the dark on this? Now, uh, In the Gospel of John, we read this written about Jesus. It says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So on the one hand... Coming to faith in Jesus Christ is not an intellectual leap of faith into the dark. It's not a a faith with no evidences because Christianity is not just a set of ideas. Christianity is about a person who existed in real life, in human history. Christianity revolves around Jesus and His death and His resurrection. And either these events happened or they didn't happen. And if they didn't happen, then we can, we can just go ahead and leave and I can start my vac- vacation early. I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of wasting our time here. But if they did happen, if Jesus did die and rise again from the dead, then that absolutely changes everything about human history, doesn't it? So again, it's not bad to desire some sort of evidence for, for who Jesus is. Evidences are a piece of the puzzle in our coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But evidences aren't everything. They're not everything. Because we all have pre-existing faith commitments that color the way we interpret the evidence that comes at us. I saw a clip this week of, of Sean Hannity, a Fox News commentator, and he was mercilessly ripping Barack Obama for using a teleprompter. And then the next clip right after that, he was praising Donald Trump for using a teleprompter. Now, uh, the, the, you know, this, the, there are two people doing the exact same thing. And so you can see, perhaps not surprising to us, that his political commitments were coloring the way that he interpreted the evidence before him. Or let me give you another example. If I say the word gun control, gun control. I may mean you need to control your gun when you aim it. I may mean I think everybody's gun should be taken away from them. I may mean something in between. But we all have presuppositions and biases that even when I say the word, that color the way you receive that phrase, gun control, when somebody says it. Let me give you a third example. Uh, The theory of of macroevolution. I'm not talking about microevolution small adaptations within a species, but macroevolution. Uh, this idea that the world started out as this primordial blob billions of years ago, a blob of chemicals that somehow evolved into dogs and giraffes and trees and elephants and people, and then there are these evolutionary changes along the way from one species into another. Now, if that were true... One of the things you would expect to find were these would be transitional forms in the fossil record. As an animal is evolving from this to this, if it winds up, it starts here and it winds up here, you would think you would find a lot of these intermediate fossils along the way. That you would be able to find fossils to represent these in-between creatures. But that's not the case. You can't find them. Instead, you just have new species, bam, without any intermediate steps. Uh, Stephen Jay Gould is one of the the leading proponents of macroevolution, and he said this, The extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology. To preserve our favorite account of evolution by natural selection, we view our data as so bad that we never see the very process we profess to study. Because of this, uh, he proposed this idea within evolution that's known as punctuated equilibrium. Punctuated equilibrium. And he said that what happens is, is that evolution just really that happens really rapidly and suddenly. There's a lot of change. There's a lot of evolving really fast, suddenly. And so the change happens so fast that there aren't any intermediate forms left. It just happens that, that quickly, that rapidly. Here, here, one Christian apologist said about this, that's like saying the proof of my theory in the fossil record is that there would be no proof. In the fossil record it's just sort of absurd but you can see his biases right he's he's got such a bias to this theory to this idea that it completely colors the way that he interprets the evidence that's in front of him our biases affect the way we interpret evidence we see this in spiritual matters as well uh, the Pharisees, we are told here in verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with Him, seeking from Him a sign from heaven to test Him. Now the Greek word for test here isn't this the idea of like an objective test, trying to figure out the truth of something. It refers to putting an obstacle or a stumbling block in somebody's path. They're trying to, to discredit Jesus. They're not coming to Jesus as these kind of neutral truth seekers. They want to discredit him. Really, their mind's are already made up about Jesus. If you go back into, earlier in into Mark, in chapter 3, we read uh, how they explained all these miraculous deeds Jesus was doing. They said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. We see the evidence, but this is how we think he's doing it. This is what we believe. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't believe Jesus. And so, so no matter what they saw, their prior faith commitments were going to color the way they saw any new evidence placed in front of them. Uh, Steve Brown uh, tells a story one time. he was I think he was hanging out with Larry King, the, the CNN guy from, from years ago. Uh, and, and he was talking to Larry King, and he asked him the question, if Jesus walked through the door and sat down at the bar with us, would you believe in him then? And Larry King said, let me get back to you on that. Let me get back to you on that. Our our, our presuppositions color the way we affect any evidence that's placed in front of us. Uh, Secondly, what I want to say about this our focus on bread, and I'll tell you what I am mean talking that in a second. Our focus on bread keeps us from seeing the one who is the bread of life. Here's what I mean. In chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women plus children from five loaves of bread and two fish and have some left over. In chapter 8, we just read, Jesus feeds a crowd of 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and a few fish. And then he has some left over. Then in verse 14 and 16, the disciples are in a boat and they're arguing about bread. I thought you were supposed to bring the bread. I thought you were supposed to bring the bread. You always forget to bring the bread. No, I'm always the one who brings the bread. And they're having this discussion about not having enough bread to eat. And Jesus says in effect, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Look at verse 17. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember what I've done? Don't you get it? Don't you see that you're falling into the same trap as the Pharisees? Their teaching rejects who I am, but your inability to connect the dots here is demonstrating the same type of unbelief in your own life. It was right there in front of their faces. But they weren't getting it. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one we need. But they were staring at their shortfall of physical bread just as we stare at the shortfall of various things in our lives. Oblivious to the one who could actually give them life. And Jesus is saying, don't don't you see yet who I am? Uh, Last week we sang sang the song Satisfied. Feeding on the crumbs around me till my strength was almost gone. Long my soul for something better only still to hunger on. What are the crumbs that you're trying to feed on? where are your earthly concerns keeping you from seeing him, from seeing the one that you actually need? If only my candidate wins the election. If only my team could finally win the championship. If only I could get down to my goal weight. If only we got to the place where we didn't have to work so hard and worry about money so much. If only I were more popular. If only, if only, if only. If my if only gets taken care of, then everything's going to be okay. Jesus has fed huge crowds twice, miraculously, from just a little bit of food. And the disciples' minds are still consumed with if only. If only we had a little bit more bread so we didn't get hungry while we were going across the sea in this boat. We think. All we need is more evidence. But our presuppositions, our biases, color the way that we interpret the evidence. And even those in this story closest to Jesus, maybe today it would be the ones who are in church every week, don't see Him. They aren't amazed by what He has done. The, The Gospel story doesn't thrill us because our minds are consumed with our lack of bread. Only We've only got this much. If, if only there was somebody who might could take care of us and provide for us. The miracles were great, but they weren't enough to overcome the unbelief of the Pharisees. They weren't enough to overcome the unbelief of the disciples. By nature, we view any evidence for Jesus through our grid of unbelief. And that colors the way we deal with the evidence so that the evidence itself is not enough. What do we need then? What do we need if we're going to believe in Jesus? How can our unbelief be overcome? Do we just shrug our shoulders and say, I don't know what to do about it. No, because if somebody in this story believes, verse 27, Jesus begins to ask His disciples, Who's everybody saying that I am? And then he asks, Who do you say I am? Do you you agree with what everybody else is saying? And Peter answers, You're the Christ. You're the Christ. The light bulb has come on for Peter. Or as we'll see as we come back and look at this a little bit more in, in, in two weeks, the light bulb is starting, it's flickered on for Peter. It's flickered on for Peter. Well, how? How did, how did we get from the unbelief of the boat to suddenly Peter saying, hey, I believe you're the Christ. You're, you're the Son of God. How do we get that? How does this change take place? I think the answer found in what happens in between. We have Jesus feeding the 4,000. We have the Pharisees coming to test Jesus. We have the unbelief of the disciples in the boat. Then we have Peter confessing that Jesus is the Christ. What happened between those last two events? In between, Jesus opens the eyes of a blind man. And most every commentator who looks at this passage sees this as more than just one more record of the healing. This is actually an actual healing and meant to teach us something at the same time about how the blind see, about how unbelief becomes belief. Because Jesus could have just spoken the Word and healed this man, right? I mean, He did that kind of stuff all the time. So He's he's trying to say something to us, to His disciples through this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't just speak and heal him. He could have healed him with one touch. But He doesn't do that. He touches him, He spits, He touches him. He says, what do you see? He says, I'm not seeing too well quite yet. I see men that look like trees walking around. And then Jesus... It's not like like Jesus didn't have enough power the first time. And so then Jesus touches him again. And his eyes open and he says, I now see everything clearly. How does somebody move from the blindness of unbelief to the sight of of belief. It's the touch of Jesus. It's the touch of Jesus. The disciples have eyes, but they're not seeing. They have ears, but they're not hearing. But just like the blind man, they too can be made to see. Just like the blind man, you too can be made to see. But Jesus has to do it. Jesus has to supernaturally Grant sight and open eyes. And just as sight came to this man, sight was beginning to come to the disciples as they grew from no understanding to some understanding to fully understanding who Jesus was and what He had come to do. But Jesus has to do it. Jesus has to do it. So, does that mean I just sit around and wait for Jesus to convince me then? If Jesus has to do it. Now let me, let me suggest five things. Evidence does play a role. Evidence is important. Jesus is not asking you to believe something on blind faith. Search the scripture. Examine what the Bible says. Uh, pick up a book like The Case for Christ. Uh, Christianity is a historical religion. It is based in history. It, it stands or falls on historical events the facts about Christianity are there to be examined. Examine them. Number two, if you don't believe in, in Christianity, if you're not sure about it, uh, here's what's going on. You've consciously or subconsciously made a faith commitment to another worldview. It's not that you have like no opinion about anything. You've, you've committed yourself to a different worldview from Christianity. I want to encourage you to examine that worldview. Why do you believe those things instead of Christianity? How do you know that those things are true? Why don't you seek as much proof for those beliefs as you demand from Christianity? Examine your own beliefs. Uh, and number three, I would encourage you to, to pray. The blind man has friends who begged Jesus to heal him. If you're not, a believer in Jesus Christ and you really want to know the truth about Jesus I would encourage you to pray to ask Jesus to give you eyes to see uh, if, if you are a believer and you've been praying for somebody are, are you consistently praying for Jesus to open blind eyes are you asking Jesus to do that pray number, number four be honest about what you see be honest about what you see and don't see the blind man said, I see men as trees walking. He could have said, I get it. Like, okay, this, this, this he could have said, this is good enough. But he didn't. Um, he could have said, I get it. I get it. But, but he didn't get it. And if that had been the case, he never would have seen clearly. You, you realize that. He could have just said, okay. And that would have been the end of the story. And he would have walked around with this blurry vision for the rest of his life. And and, and how often do our stories end right there because we say, I'm fine. I see clearly. When things really aren't fine. When we really don't see that clearly. Be honest about what you see and what you don't see. And then number five, uh, put yourself in a position to be touched by Jesus. Put yourself in the position to be touched by Jesus. Jesus is not physically here, obviously. Well, how do we experience His touch? In His Word? In His church? Through His people? Uh, I like to say that people normally don't come to faith in Jesus Christ while they're standing in the line at Walmart thinking about something other than Jesus Christ. People normally don't get run over by a train when they're not standing on the train tracks. It could happen, but it doesn't normally happen. Put yourself in a position... Where you can be touched by Jesus. Where you can receive multiple touches from Jesus. Because for many conversion is like this. The lights go on instantly and you believe. But I think we all expect kind of this Saul of Tarsus experience. There's a lot of us that it's more like these baby steps. Like the light is gradually coming on. And then we get it. But that's a process and it takes time. Things move from fuzzy... To clear over a period of time. So put yourself in a position where you can actually be touched by Jesus and receive continual touches from Jesus. Uh, Daniel Kish, I don't know if you've heard of this guy or not, is known as the Batman uh, because he's a blind man uh, who had both eyes physically removed. he he can pull out his artificial eyes there are no eyes there he had both eyes physically removed when he was 13 months old because he had cancer in his eyes but now he can walk around he can navigate traffic he can climb trees and he can ride a bicycle blind man but how does he do all this? well, that's why they call him the batman he learned to navigate his world. His mother didn't shelter him, but he learned to navigate his world using clicks. He basically makes a clicking noise with his tongue. He walks around clicking his tongue really fast, and basically what he's doing, he's using a type of sonar to navigate the world around him. In fact, you should go listen to this podcast, it's, I think it's from last year on This American Life, scientists are beginning to think that people like Daniel... Actually, see a very crude image of the world. Something maybe like if, if you were looking at, your, at at a text and like in your peripheral vision, and it was all kind of fuzzy and black and white. Because when they run tests on the brains of blind people, have used to click and to navigate in this way, certain parts of their brain light up that are associated with sight. Color doesn't light up. Brightness doesn't light up, but shape lights up. Motion lights up. And so they're, they're seeing, you know, the, the image is actually in your brain that we see. They're seeing something. And so Daniel thinks we ought to treat blind people differently. That we ought to push them to learn to navigate the world by by clicks, and a lot of people do it, don't do it just because it seems so weird. But it it gives them a a crude vision of the world around them. So let's say I've been blind all my life and I've been had all these restraints put on me. And I've been told you can't do this and you can't do this and you shouldn't do that because it's not safe. People have basically tried to keep me safe. How do I change? How does the way I view the world change? How can I be given sight again? I need to find someone like Daniel Kish and come under his authority. Come under his teaching. Come into a relationship with him. The ultimate the way my spiritual blindness lifts is by coming into relationship with Jesus Christ. Being taught by him. Guided by Him. Touched by Him. He has to open my eyes and teach me how to see. He has to open my eyes and give me sight. Yes, evidence is important, but you and I don't just need a bunch of facts about Jesus. We need to know and be touched and have our eyes opened by Jesus Christ. If you're struggling this morning with the truthfulness of Christianity, then my challenge to you this morning is, will you put yourself in a position to be touched by Jesus? Because what you and I really need, if we're going to rightly evaluate the evidence that is right in front of us, is eyes to see. It's eyes to see. And only Jesus can give us eyes to see. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we, um, we pray for your touch. Uh, we pray that, that we might be drawn near to you, that we might receive multiple touches, however many it takes, for us to begin to see clearly who you are, that you are the way and the truth and the life, that you are the Son of God, uh, come to bring salvation to sinners. Help us to see. Give us eyes. We pray in your name. Amen.